HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast. Paul and Andrew are here today. We are doing our show uh, via the Zoom box because uh, it's Labor Day. and it's, it's been a while since we've done this. Yeah, it's been a long weekend. I miss week- you, man. Yeah, I know. It's been a long yeah. weekend and uh, a lot going on and different things. So uh, more, more fun hunting stuff in your world than in mine. But uh, what, do you, yeah. what, what have you been up to? You know, I did a little, uh, I had that lottery hunt for the dove opener in Delaware, which was really cool. I got to go up to a dove field that the state had managed pretty intensely. It looks like over the last, I don't, I don't know how many weeks, but there was a burn that they had done at some point. Um, there were hay bales out. They'd really done a nice job prepping this field uh, for the for the hunt. And I guess there were a couple of fields that they had done that on, uh, you know, with, with the controlled burn and I, I like, I mean, you know this, you burn them, there's some sort of grass or millet, I don't know what the hell it was, but when they burned it, it just shot seeds everywhere. And I mean, it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. I sent a video of it to to one of my friends down in Georgia, and he's like, wait, are you hunting over bait? I'm like, no, man, I'm in a controlled freaking hunt from the state of Ohio. I'm not hunting over bait. But I mean, I'll tell you what, Mons, it was, uh, the sun came up, I think first shot was... 703 or something like that and and there were no doves in the field and then 720 hit and it was just like dub 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 and it was like freaking world war one or world war two it was insane it was just i've never been on a hunt where there was that much stuff dying and that many shots going off at once i mean it was quick fast and in a hurry and it stopped at eight o'clock and was done there's nothing there wasn't maybe five doves killed after eight o'clock and i left kenny and i left at noon and i mean it was it was nuts but it was a good time. We had a visit from the uh, fine, two fine gentlemen from the Ohio Department of Wildlife came out. Law enforcement officers came out to check everyone and keep the peace. And uh, it was cool, man. It was. A, I'm not going to lie. It was, I was a little uncomfortable the first. I mean, because you've got like this spot like 20 yards to your right or left. And behind you, there's there's two other guys. And there's, they're just shooting everywhere, you know. And I'm, I'm a very much a rule follower. And it was, it was a couple guys are getting a little questionable outside of outside of their zones, huh? just a little bit, yeah. But so shit was would, dying. You, would you do it, it again? Cool. We, I would. I would absolutely do it again. Yeah, I would apply for that. The state, man, like you can be negative about the state all you want, but they did a really nice job with this field. It was really, it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. The doves had been dumping in there for weeks, it seems like, because they were very comfortable. The only thing that was that I didn't like, this has nothing to do with anybody, but the damn killdeer, Andrew, were freaking everywhere. And so the dove would, like, intermingle with the killdeer. So you would get, like, ten killdeer that roll through, and there'd be four doves in them. And everyone would just watch them roll by or fly by, and they wouldn't shoot because, you know, you can't kill a killdeer. Someone did, and they got, they got a ticket. So be mindful out there, folks. Damn. Uh, 
Yeah. What about you, man? You been doing anything fun? Shooting your bow? Uh, yeah, a little bit of that. Just getting stuff tested and warmed up. We're going to talk a little bit about it, but um, I'm considering going up towards the disease surveillance area next weekend because uh, so September 10th. Mark your calendars if you haven't already. Is the first day of archery in that CWD um, zone. So I've been really trying to figure out the logistics of how that could work. Um, I normally process all my own deer, but for that area, you need to, if you kill a deer and I, please, anybody listening to this, refer to the state's website so that if you need your questions answered or, um, if you've, if I'm not making a whole lot of sense, but if you kill a deer, you you got 24 hours to either get it to, uh, processor or taxidermist that is certified by the state. And I'm not really sure how that's going to work out because I'm still, if you you were to shoot one at Saturday night, fi- by the time you find it, all that kind of stuff, say it's evening or dusk, you know, it's going to be eight, eight, nine o'clock. They're closed. Uh, so you can put it in your vehicle, I, I think, if I understand this right, and as long as you get it to a processor or taxidermist within 24 hours, you're good. One of the certified ones has to be certified by the state. So then I'm banking on one of these places being open on Sunday in order for me to drive it there. I think that's how it would have to work. The other thing is you can quarter it all out and debone it and all that kind of stuff in the field. Um, there are t- talked about like burying guts and all that. Yeah, there's a lot. There's like a lot. Yeah. could be. I, I don't think we can stress enough, and you already said this, but check your regulations. Get on the website. Check it out. Don't be, you know, don't get popped by some some dude in green pants and a green truck. But oh well, Andrew and Paul on the podcast so that I could don't do that. Yeah, we're dumb. We're not. So I, that's. I know it's a lot. There, there, there is there is a lot. I mean, and I mean, we have to do those things to to kind of keep this this issue isolated. Uh, but man, that's. I mean that, that that sounds like more work than I want to deal with right at this moment, especially if it, I mean, it's it's going to be hot this weekend and next next week, you know. Yeah, so it might be a, a game time decision type of thing there, but the state has come out with a lot of they updated places where they're doing CWD testing. Um, so getting in some of our news here, Paul. Well, you you went out for ducks. Did you get any ducks? No, no, I'm not gonna. I had a terrible time. Uh, I mean. It was cool hanging out with my buddies, Justin and, and Brandon. But, yeah, we talked about this before. <laughs> I, had, I had just, like, one of the worst experiences duck hunting. It's just my own stupidity is what caused it. It was nothing else. Uh, but it was I, – I I don't think – honestly, I don't think I'm going to duck hunt again until it's cold. Yeah. So, until that north wind starts moving down. But, yeah, it took that, – that hunt took it out. I, I've got jury duty the rest of the week, though, man. I don't get to do anything fun. Jury duty, and then I'm in Missouri – for work next week so that's right you won all those hunting lotteries and then you won the jury duty lottery yeah yeah so it starts full four it I, it did it got canceled for for tomorrow tuesday uh the 6th of september but damn it man the rest of the week it is game on so looking forward to that actually it's kind of cool i think so uh real quick while i'm uh, looking at it um i had sent you this email and we didn't prep this discussion point at all but did you see this um, thing from the Division of Wildlife for Thursday controlled waterfowl permits. Do you know what that's about? I I did. I saw I saw the email that you sent, and I'm I'm not. 
I was it was like additional controlled hunts that came out. I, I was gonna dig dig into that a little deeper. Uh, and I don't know where your my email. I don't get emails like that. You get all the cool emails. So yeah, it was just there was a bunch of controlled hunts that popped up uh, that weren't available through the app when you when we applied what in July. Yeah, so I just pulled up on the website. This is on ohiodnr.gov, um, but it looks like on Thursdays there are going to be controlled permits for waterfowl hunting uh, throughout the season. So get on their website and check it out. It is it says new for 2022, so this is something that perhaps we were not. Um... So it's a part of uh, so it's part of the OLAP system, right? Hunts will be offered on Thursday during waterfowl seasons. Registration on the OLAP site opens at 10 a.m. on the Wednesday before the hunt, the Thursday hunt, the day before. Registration will open until 10 p.m. on on, on th- 10 a.m. on Thursday. I don't know. I got questions. Yeah. Questions. <laughs> Created more questions for me than answers reading that damn email. Gotcha. So, well, um, what else we got? We got uh, we got our buddies that go out. Yep. Thank the... them for the support of our show, for their friendship. Really enjoyed meeting them. Time to go wild.com. Or is it download Go Wild? Which one is it? I just got off the damn app, but apparently everyone can't do that. So Go Wild has been popping off recently. There's been a lot of activity on there. People were putting elk trophies up. I saw that. That's coming. Get some of those rolling in. Antelope trophies coming in. My buddy Kenny Keaton put a banded dove trophy on Go Ooh. Wild the other day that he got from our hunt. Yeah, pretty, pretty Congratulations, cool. Kenny. The uh, Yeah, it's time to go wild.com is the website. It's your online social media platform. I was listening to their show today. They do a little half-hour segment every week. They're celebrating their fifth year, so it was pretty interesting to hear uh, how they took that idea and really ran with that it, is, ups man. and downs, and through a pandemic and everything else. So, yeah, and and I'll tell you what, I just pulled up Go Wild. I like I like I just want to see what's what's popping off. Our our friend Mike Larson, a Go Wild staple. That dude just he got three geese today. Uh, it must, I think he's in Michigan right now. One of them was banded, so pretty cool day for that guy. Congrats. Ten bucks if you sign up. Good job, Mike. Free ten dollars. Yep. So else, what else we get? We got tethered. Uh, tethered. Yep. So tethered is now the time to get get your saddles ready. It's going to be here in just a couple weeks. I can't wait, man. I, I haven't I haven't been up in it much uh, in the last couple of weeks. I feel like I, I got to the point where I could shoot comfortably out of it. I didn't want to. I just. I know how to get in the system, how I liked everything set up. I don't know. I didn't want to overthink it, if that makes if that makes sense. So. The uh, Our buddy Brett Morris over there in Indiana, he got up in the saddle for the first time this year. And I was talking to him about it, he, how he loved it. He was up there this weekend. I think they were down in Kentucky. Yeah. Um, he filming somebody who uh, took a doe, but he said he, he was enjoyed it thoroughly up there. Just need to get some knee pads. That was his only thing, so. Yeah, man, I don't know how you could comfortably sit in a, in a tree system or a tree saddle without knee pads. So, tetherednation.com. Check that out. And thanks out to our guys over at First Light. So, we got more information from them coming soon. We can pin, pin down one of their people to talk to us, which it looks like this week we should. So, they announced uh, some duck waders, some waterfowl waders in 2023. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you got excited about that one, didn't you? Yeah, that I'll tell you what, that type of pattern, I, I really, really like that stuff. So, yeah. also, new sponsor, Beards of Legend. 
beardsoflegend.com, beard oil, balm, men's grooming products, pretty cool stuff. Enter the code LEGEND at checkout, save yourself 10%. I'm starting to get scraggly, so I took your your no sh- sh- no cleaning up yeah. your beard until uh, you shoot a buck. Yeah, so this, I like it. It if, looks it looks good. It's coming in nice. I'm gonna <laughs> get you some of that. I'm gonna get you some of that beard oil from our friends at Beard Delight. Look at the shirt they gave me. Look at this thing. How bad at us? It's a, awesome. it's a it's a it's a lumber jack. I like with that. axes. And he's just, it's it's cool. I like it. They got some they got some cool shirts, man. So good yeah, Beardlegend.com, Facebook. I don't use Facebook. You don't use Facebook, but apparently there's like a like a Beards of Legend Facebook group that is super active. Uh, we got some funny stuff going on in there, so check them out there. Instagram, all that good stuff. So I think the biggest news from around the state this week uh, is not good news, but we have EHD has been found in 13 Ohio counties. So um, we're gonna try to if get if you don't. If you don't know what EHD is, you can Google this, but it is it is a midge that um, and this we're we're going to get someone, but it's it's um, episodic hemorrhagic disease, I believe is yep. the, some is the term. It's pretty bad. So so uh, it's caused by a bug that bites the deer. The deer gets infected, and I think I've seen anywhere from like two to ten days. Let's see, they'll show symptoms within five to ten days. They start basically shitting themselves and drooling and a lot of times you find them near water because they supposedly get fever or dehydrated and their attempt to take care of that so it's pretty sad um i'm not they think that weather has something to do with the outbreaks but um i'm not sure that we really fall into something about having a good drought we didn't really have much of a drought up here this year but i mean it was it was kind of severe in some spots of the state perhaps yeah uh, but i mean the last 24 40 hours we've gotten three to four inches in some of these spots that have been hit by ehd yeah so, so we'll see i think you need a frost to really knock that bug out the uh the midge but i don't see that in the forecast so i guess it's one of those things to just be aware of and uh you know if, if i guess you should report your sightings of sick deer uh, to wildohio.gov or your local wildlife officer. And hopefully we can get through this without too much disruption to the deer herd in general. But we're going to try to get Mike Tonkovich on, if not next week, uh, in the upcoming weeks, to talk more about that and what to expect and watch for and all that kind of stuff. So, Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Those guys are going to be taking. They're going to have a. They're going to have a keen eye towards this towards this issue. And I don't know if there's much that 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 we as hunters can do other than report it and 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 stay vigilant. Uh, I mean here here here's a, a direct quote from the dispatch today uh, from Mike Tonkovich. We were seeing what could be the biggest outbreak yet of EHD. Uh, mortality events are pretty substantial and pretty widespread. So this is a serious issue. We're going to get. You know, we're gonna get him on to talk about it, but uh, yeah, and unlike this, unlike CWD, it's not. A lot of times we don't have CWD standing out because the symptoms aren't super clear, and it takes a long time for it to develop. But this one, it's not. It's a complete opposite. It's like a real quick path uh, to death. So, anywho, yeah. Um, yeah. So, on some good news, I I stumbled across an absolute treasure of a store, Andrew, on my travels last week. 
in Athens County. And and these guys, they're not associated with the show, but Rivers Edge Outfitters in Athens, awesome store. Awesome. Dude, good. I walk in. I walk in, and I'm like, yeah, it's cool, man. There's like, uh, you know, there's some um, bunch of bows, and it's like this tiny little shop, and then and I see like this little doorway, and I walk out to like this massive warehouse, and there are guns and mounts everywhere. And I was talking to one of the guys. I'm like, dude, who, who killed all these animals? There's probably a hundred mounts on this on this wall. Elk, red stag, massive deer. Him and three other guys that work at and or own this building or this business down there. Those guys. That's sweet. Someone's listening. Tell them we said hi, and that. Uh, they had they had one of my favorite things ever. They had a tube call for hunting turkeys. Had to buy it. Sitting in the parking lot playing with it like an idiot. So you are amazing, my friend. Uh, I try. I try my best. Well, what are we talking about this week? I think we we've got it's a two parter type thing where we've got um, the first little segment. We're gonna have Dave Kohler on from uh, ODW, and uh, he's gonna talk to us about the OLAP program. So that was the Ohio and Land Access. Partnership program, yeah, or so Ohio access partners, something like oh, Ohio hunters and landowner access partner program. O h l a p p, I think is that what is it is a mouthful. But if you guys are not aware, so last year the state had some grant money that they were able to put together this program where landowners can get paid to, um, basically allow hunters on their land and. They've got, I can't remember, I think he says about half the counties are covered right now. His goal would be to have at least one property in every county. They've got over 80 properties. He goes through all these numbers in the thing. They're just, some of them are in the same counties. So uh, it was very popular and very successful last year in the state's mind. So they're, it's a two-year contract that they've got with all these landowners so they're going to go back through and do it again this year, and they've signed on more properties. So it sounds like it's heading in the right direction. They're trying to figure out a way to how to make this per- more of a, like a permanent program. And, uh, yeah, so it sounds good. And then the second half, Paul, we're gonna, we are gonna got our talk with uh, Jason Red from um, Timber Ninja. So Timber Ninja is kind of an up-and-coming company. If you've not heard of them, uh, they make some really lightweight stuff for uh, mobile hunting carbon fiber sticks platforms all this kind of stuff and uh we really don't talk a whole lot about the the business with jason because i don't think we, we didn't talk hardly at all about it he uh yeah, yeah jason wants to talk about hunting and he's got some cool stories and approaches and uh yeah so we had met him down there at ata last year and this was our uh getting him yeah good dude Very lives good. in north carolina Loves to hunt turkeys, and we talk a, a little bit about duck hunting, which was pretty cool. Grew up in Arkansas, and yeah, great talk, man. We get we got a little uh, you know, a little relationship advice from from Jason, and a little personal uh, you know chat about uh, you know hunting and, and relationship stuff, and it was cool, man. This is a, this is this is an awesome talk. I really enjoyed it. So yep. So yeah. with uh, that, we've got our Instagram. It's the dot o two dot podcast. Our website is the o2podcast.com uh on go wild of course o2 podcast or at paul campbell three yeah 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 okay no it's just paul campbell i always uh, forget man um yeah yeah, reach out to us and uh you want to leave us a review love that always looking for uh any feedback i love hearing from our listeners gotten some 
some new buddies on Instagram, some new buddies on on uh, on Go Wild. It's been cool, man. Thanks, thanks for reaching out. Thanks for listening to our show. And if there's anyone you want to hear, let us know, man. We'll uh, we'll see if we can get someone on. So sounds good. Well, Paul, if I don't talk to you, have a good rest of your day and uh, good luck uh, this I'll weekend. Enjoy, Anybody who I'll gets enjoy, out, yeah, I'll enjoy jury duty this week. Well, you guys are goose hunting, just anything. That's funny. So, all right. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening. Yep. All right. Here we go. Uh, Good afternoon. We've got Dave Kohler on the line. Dave, uh, how are you today? I'm doing quite well. Yourself? Good. It's a sunny day. September's right around the corner. We're going to be hunting deer before long. So, um, Dave, I know you joined us last year on the program. Um, I don't know, uh, in case somebody doesn't know, do you want to give us a quick rundown of, of your position within the state and uh, what, what you do? Yeah, um, Dave Kohler, I'm a program administrator. I've been with, with the Division of Wildlife for 30 years now. So, um, yeah, part of my job is dealing with human-wildlife interactions and running that program where we help people um, with, uh, they might be having trouble with deer, or Canada geese, one of those things. Um, but also I'm in charge of this OLHAP program, which, um, which we'll be talking about today, the hunter access program on private lands. Awesome. So you, yeah, you've been around for a minute, you know, what's going on 30 years. That's a, that's a good chunk <laughs> of change there. So, yeah. Well, last year when we had you on the program, uh, we did talk about the OLAP program and how it was new last year, right? That was the first year. Yep. Last year, we spring of 2021 was our first sign up, and we signed up about 8,000 acres for that first year. And so the, the the first time that folks were able to hunt it was last September, and we have it set up so it basically runs from September one. The contracts with landowners run from September one until June one, and there's a little grace period where there's no hunting. Two year contracts with those landowners. So we had two year contract. Okay. Yep. Yeah, so those those initial contracts we signed up landowners on our first sign up, which would have been spring of 2021. Those contracts will be expiring at the end of this hunting season, June one. Basically, they'll expire uh, of 2023. Gotcha. How how did the first year go? It went well. We had a, a little bit of growing pains just launching the the, the site and making sure you know working with, with our IT section, making sure we had everything right as far as the reservation system. But we got that going. Um, we had about, I want to say, 3,600 total permits went out, daily permits went out last year. And we surveyed, randomly surveyed hunters and landowners, and, and the feedback was phenomenal. With overall, 93% satisfaction from hunters and the same, uh, about the same level, I think it was 94% satisfaction from the landowners. So yeah, we, we, we hit it out of the park on that one. So uh, obviously our, our initial goal with this grant, which we were, we were given $1.8 million by the um, federal government as part of the farm bill, USDA. And our goal was to get 20,000 acres signed up in this program through this first grant cycle. And I'm happy to say with our second sign up, which we just completed and we we're processing contracts, which will be available to hunters for this fall, we're now up to 19,500 acres total that will be in the program. So 
as these contracts, everything's always a rush job here. So as these contracts are being um, approved, they will go directly on the website for, for OHAP website and they'll be made available. So hunters should be looking at more and more properties, probably 60 some more properties showing up um, within days showing up on the OHAP website. That's awesome. And just a, a review. So the hunt, uh, we've got landowners out there that have signed up to volunteer uh, to give their property access uh, to hunters across the state. And then the hunters just have to go through your website, daily permit, sign up, and they get access to go in and hunt, right? And we're talking, um, is, it, is it only for deer archery or is it, because it's not gun season, right? Yeah, so here, that's a great question. We we made it very, we wanted to keep it simple for everybody. So first round, basically it's, they're, they're allowing all hunting of all legal species with the caveat that no firearms are allowed for deer hunting. So they, they can hunt with firearms for small game, any of those type of things, but during, they can hunt during the deer gun season. They just have to use archery equipment. Um, so yeah, that's uh, the main thing. We really wanted it to be palatable to the landowner um, and having a first time program like this, we thought keeping uh, firearms for deer gun out of the program would probably make the landowners a little more comfortable. And I think we were right about that. So we are working on some other options um, to get more um, properties signed up you know, in urban areas. So they're closer to folks. And that option, which we are exploring, would be the landowner signs up just to have archery deer only and no other uh, hunting. Uh, we already found that through the first survey results, um, you know, it's 70 to 80 percent of the people using these permits are deer hunting to begin with. And obviously that means archery hunting because we don't allow, you know, the, the, the firearms for the deer season. So we're working on something to allow those those landowners in that simply want to allow just archery only hunting. But that's that'll be coming down the road. Do you have any idea what the kind of success rates were as far as hunters uh, actually tagging deer or game in general that they were out for? Yeah, so I uh, know that we sixty um, percent of the permit holders hunters saw the game that they were at least encountered game that they were looking for now as, as far as harvesting it, it was a lower percentage it was below 25 percent. but that's for all all species we didn't have it broken down by you know what you know what their percentage was for deer and you know that's going to vary by species you know so yeah, yeah we were really happy that 25 percent that's not outside the norm i can't remember what the numbers are like uh, as far as licenses that you sell the state sells every year and actual deer harvested but i don't think it's it's not one-to-one it's not 100 right not everybody no and and, and and that's typically talking about people that are hunting the same properties and over and over and know the properties it's gotten and this in this case as you know it's basically you sign up for it one day at a time um and you said that the earliest you can sign up is 8 p.m. the day before. And of course, that's all tomorrow, September 1. So, the, you know, people are starting, will be signing up today for to start tomorrow. Of course, deer season is the main thing, and that doesn't start until September 24th, I believe. So um, right now you'll have a lot of people scouting and some, some folks dove hunting and squirrel hunting and that type of thing. But we know that the bulk of the demand for the properties is actually deer hunting, which will be coming. Yeah. So remind me, remind me the process. I want to hunt a property. I go to the website, which is 
Yeah, if you just Google OLHAP, O-L-H-A-P, that's Ohio Landowner Hunter Access Partnership, O-L-H-A-P. And it, there are a couple other things that will come up, but if you put in Ohio OLHAP too, that'll, it, it'll take you right to our website, our OLHAP website. And on there, then you'll be able to look at the properties and fill out a permit. Basically, the way it works is we have it so it's a sort of density um, dependent. So we go by 50, uh, 100 per 50 acres of permanent cover. And I'll use this example. You've, let's say you got 200 acres property, 100 acres is in row crop. We're only going to look at the, at the 100 acres that's, that's permanent cover, like forest land, wetland, or grassland. And then we'll divide that 100 per 50. So in that scenario, you don't have 200s would be able to get on that property in a day. And we found, you know, survey results. That's one of the things people really liked about the program is that they're not overly crowded. They know kind of what to expect and the landowners too. Um, so yeah, they go that, in there, they fill that out and the permit is emailed to them. And at the same time, uh, a permit or an email is sent to the landowner. So the landowner knows who's coming, what they're intending to hunt. And it's, like I say, it's good for one, one day. Got it. And I know um, I did use it last year. Uh, one time Paul and I went out, but the, the map is really easy. Uh, and it was great to see as the year went on that there was more dots popping up across the maps. So I know specifically, uh, I'll just say Northwestern, Western part of the state, uh, there's not a ton of public land. So it was nice to see more and more properties opening up that direction uh, for people to use. And then yeah. each property has general comments, right? So where to park or if the landowner has anything specifically they ask you to be aware of or, or not do. I think there, I remember reading one that you know, the homeowner would walk the, the mode trails every day. So if you were out there, just be aware that they were probably yeah. going to walk the mode trails. Um, so that was, that was really nice. And like you said, you get that permit email to you, you're ready to go. Um, now it'll tell you though, obviously, if one of them is booked. So if I went in at eight o'clock tonight and tomorrow I pick on one, it was, it was already booked. It would tell me I, I couldn't do that. Right. Yeah. It should tell you that it's, it's already booked. Now this, it's, it's a computer system. So as you know, sometimes it doesn't work exactly the way we want it, but we are always working on fixing whatever issues we have. And that's part of the survey, you know, while we surveyed landowners and hunters, we found out a lot of things just surveying those uh, in last October, November. Um, for example, OHAP permit owners, uh, holders are bound by OHAP rules. For example, you can't put out um, corn for deer. You can't put in a permanent tree stand or anything like that. Um, can't use trail cameras. But we also found out that, that these, these landowners are allowed to basically to allow separate permission outside of OHAP for, let's say, relatives or friends, what have you. We wanted them to be able to have that ability in order to keep them from just being, you know, scared away from the program. So anyway, we found from these survey results, there was some confusion on that. So we had to brief up our website and provide more information to so manage their expectations. So they would go out there and realize, hey, why is this corn out here? I thought we weren't supposed to do that. Well, that's because somebody already has permission outside of OHAP, that type of thing. Um, but there we, yeah, we learned a lot of different things and some of them were glitches with our, with our system that we were able to correct, but I'm sure that will be ongoing too, Andrew. I, it's, I don't, 
one of those type of things where you constantly have to be, you know, tweaking things on that. That makes sense. So, um, I know when we went out, the one thing I will caution people, it's not caution. It's, this is something that every woodsman or woman should do. Check your map, right? Like they give you a beautiful map of this property, but make sure when we went out, okay. Besides the fact that it was like 38 degrees and pouring rain, we had to cross <laughs> this, this, this Creek, uh, to get to the, the majority of the land. And I didn't realize that. So I don't think I, I remember not having the correct shoes on for that uh, to cross this Creek. And uh, had I known it would have made perhaps, it would have kept my feet drier a little bit longer, but uh, so make sure you go on your, your, ma your mapping program, whatever that is, and then double check and, and make sure you guys are aware of, of what's going on. But Dave, how, how long do we foresee this program working with, uh, within the state, I know you said there was grant money involved and two-year contracts. Is it safe to say that we'll have some OLAP properties at least available through spring of 24? Yes, another great question. So our plan is we've got, so we did the first contract. Those, those properties expire uh, next summer. Then these folks that we're signing up for, for this two years, and we pay these landowners two years up front. So we're signing up folks at 22 and 22 they'll go that will take them through 2024 but then our plan is this spring to go back to the landowners we signed up on our initial sign up and try to get everyone who wants to re-enroll back in that and then if uh we may lose one or two landowners i'm not sure but if um and then supplement that with additional signups uh, whatever we can afford so the idea would be we'll have those folks then under under uh contract until 2025 um so every year we'll just we'll go back to the ones we already have try to re-sign them up and then go for additional acreages um and then we'll, we're worrying uh working on trying to figure out ways to make the the program supported even if we don't get federal funding for it from usda so that's those are things in the pipeline um because yeah cool getting 20,000 acres. And as you said, we've really put a, a premium on getting properties where we don't have a lot of public lands right now, like Northwestern Ohio. I, my goal is, you know, we want one of these in every County. We're at 41 counties right now. And, and um, we have over a hundred and some properties. So obviously there's some counties that have multiple um properties in it but we you know we're almost halfway there to have one in every county but we know from our survey results and just from common sense folks want to be able to go to a property and not have to drive an hour and a half every time they want to go hunting so the more if we get one at least one property in every county um then we have a presence in that county and we we're finding out that landowners word of mouth is, is spreading this on the landowner side of things for folks to get in. They see the signs, they talk to their neighbor, Hey, it's working out well for me and I'm getting paid, um, you know, two years up front for, and, and giving back to, you know, a tradition and a, an outdoor pursuit that a lot of these it's, it's going away for a lot of people, you know, we're, we're seeing the reduction in, in the participation. So I think it's a win-win for the landowners. Well, I think you were talking earlier. I, I think if you can get some good urban properties, um, I know that they just destroy landscapes and, uh, you know, it becomes 
a wildlife management issue. You, you're part of your job is dealing with human and wildlife interactions. And, yes, exactly. uh, too many, too many deer in the, in the urban population in the urban areas is, is a wreck. The other thing about the urban deer, and I, I'm just saying this because I got a picture today of one of the biggest bucks I have ever seen. That was literally a mile outside of downtown Columbus. So oh, there yeah. are some, there are some biggies in there yes. too, that uh, would be always be cool to go, go after. But uh, well, Dave, I appreciate your time today. Uh, and, we uh, once again, if you guys, if you Google OLHAP, it's O L H A P. Is that right? Yep. O L H A P. Um, you can put in, uh, you can go to Wild Ohio. Let's put in Wild Ohio. There's a lot of different ways to get there, but I found the easiest way to just put in O L H A P, and that'll take you. You recognize it'll, it'll say Ohio Landowner Hunter Access Partnership Program. Wonderful. Well, we appreciate it, Dave, and uh, good luck this fall. We'll uh, we'll get this out and hopefully get some people out there using your properties. All right. Awesome. Thank you for your interest in, in spreading the word. Yep. Take care. Yep. Bye-bye. And welcome back to the O2 Podcast. How's how you doing today, Paul? Doing good, man. Good. Well, doing tonight good. we've Thank got you. we've got our special guest is Mr. Jason Red. Did I get that right from Timber Ninja. Uh, Jason, how are you this afternoon, this evening, wherever we're at? Uh, yeah, I live on the East Coast, so it's eight o'clock here. I'm doing pretty well. I wouldn't consider myself a special guest, but I appreciate that. Everybody's a special guest on our show. <laughs> <laughs> that nice. is that is true. So Jason, where where are you from? Well, I'm actually from the delta region of arkansas down in the mississippi delta but uh i for the last 13 years i've, I've lived in western north carolina and right outside of Asheville. beautiful Asheville, north carolina yep the mountains and yeah, i've been here for 13 years wow well jason i think uh we met last year down there at ata and i had to come stop by and see your booth because i had picked up some of your sticks um recently and i was very excited about those uh, but for those of our listeners who don't know who you are um, or, you know, why, who this Jason Red guy is and why we just picked him up off the street to talk on the podcast, uh, do you want to tell him a little bit about Timber Ninja and, and that co- your company? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I am the I guess, founder of Timber Ninja Outdoors. We're a mobile hunting products company headquartered here out of Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, we made the first carbon fiber climbing stick, which was kind of our, um, you know, lead in into, you know, the mobile hunting products category. But when we decided to actually launch that, you know, we, we have many other items that we've started to launch. Uh, you know, we brought out a saddle this year and we got, we got a tree stand that's finished. It's carbon fiber tree stand first of its kind. Uh, I've just, we we've been kind of busy this year so we haven't released that yet I mean, we're a small company i mean it's three of us that do all this and uh you know we our business has grown a lot but we also have day jobs too and families so it, it's it's a it's a fun it's it's way more than a side hustle now which i never thought it was going to do that but uh and we just you know what our goal is to innovate and make the coolest uh, mobile hunting products we can, uh, you know, I've been a mobile hunter pretty much my whole life. Uh, I started hunting when I was, I started, I mean, I, I was taken hunting when I was real little, but I 
personally started hunting when I was like seven years old and we've always hunted public land just because I grew up pretty poor and just didn't have access to any other private land or hunting clubs and stuff like that. I mean, well, there's been a couple of times we were in hunting clubs when I was younger, but they were $200 a year, you know, paper, uh, timber company properties down in South Arkansas and things like that. But, uh, besides that, it's always been mobile hunting and, and my partners in the business, Jordan and Tyler, you know, they grew up here in the mountains and they've always hunted public, you know, off and on. And, you know, Jordan really got into hunting more public, uh, years ago, back in like Oh six. And in living here in the mountains, you got to understand, um, you know, weight does mean a lot up here, uh, because, you know, you're going up sometimes in, you know, a mile and a half, two miles, you know, you may gain eight to 900 feet elevation. So lightweight gear is important. And that's kind of how we got started. I made a set of sticks for myself, never had intentions on selling them, just made a set of carbon sticks. Cause I wanted to do it. And, uh, cause I had a background in cycling and, and I've been rock climbing for a long time. And, um, so I've used a lot of things that work with carbon fiber and just never understood why it wasn't in the hunting industry as far as mobile hunting products, tree stands and things like that. So, uh, after getting into it, I realized why it wasn't, I mean, it's not a cheap endeavor to get into, uh, especially when you do something that's not ever been done before, because you're gonna have a lot of failures, right? It's easy to kind of look at somebody's aluminum stick and know that, yeah, that aluminum tube's going to work. So I'm going to just change my steps and change my setback. And then, Hey, I've got a hunting company. Right. Um, so, you know, the innovation side of it is definitely, it's a challenging and, uh, it's also a big financial commitment, but it's really fun. Like, you know, the whole idea behind this company is like, you know, it wasn't started to make money. I, you know, we want to make money to pay for ourselves. Right. And hopefully, you know, which we have, you know, we, we make money, uh, but like we continue to reinvest back into the company. And, um, and the whole idea was, you, you know, we weren't going to just going to make one product and sit on it. Like we want to keep innovating and making new stuff. Cause that's, that's the main thing I, I have fun doing is coming up with ideas. And, um, yeah, so it's been a good endeavor. I mean, we're, we started in during COVID May of 2020 and, uh, so when, we all good, reached... when all good companies were founded, right? Like, right. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it was a trying time for sure. But fortunately there was a lot of, um, stimulus money out there. So that, that really helped a lot during those times and people being at home bored and, uh, looking to buy gear. I mean, honestly, I think it was one of the best times to start a company if you're in recreational, uh, items like this. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. So, Jason, growing up in Arkansas, did you did you hunt a lot of ducks when uh, when you were still a resident there? Or were you always just been chasing deer on? Pope I knew you were going to go right there. Paul's, I'm a duck uh, Paul's I like the bird ducks. man in the, in the uh, group here. Dude, I have a ducks unlimited tattoo on my back. Yeah, see, we're friends but, already, right no, there. Yeah, I was a duck guide. Um, I started guiding ducks when I was thirteen uh, for a farmer that I scouted cotton for, and I got it until I was about twenty one. And, uh, I got burnt out on duck hunting though. Cause I grew up, we did a lot of duck hunting. Like that was that, I mean, duck and deer was all we did. And that's like uh, the number one thing. And, and like, like in Arkansas hunting and it? it's just duck hunting. Oh, I mean, it's the world capital. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, but green timber duck hunting is what draws people. And that's what I grew up doing was hunting green timber, public land, river bottom stuff. And for us, for us, Ohio boys that, uh, I know what green timber is, but just explain what green timber 
a green timber reservoir is for for us the ohio hunters that don't have the pleasure of getting out there so very often green timber is essentially hardwoods that are established in floodplain regions so you know most of your ma- major rivers blow out of their out of their channels and they flood this um they flood these hardwood bottoms and so mallard specifically is what everybody's after and that's what mainly you kill mallards and wood ducks in the woods so when they migrate south they know there's all these flooded hardwoods when there is flooded hardwoods so you have acorns floating around all different types of you know mass type trees and so ducks are coming in and i'm getting pretty pumped up about this because it this just brings back so many memories good hell let's you know, turn you get... this into a duck talk man I've <laughs> yeah, exactly right, yeah right? Okay. yeah <laughs> so uh you know you have all these you know ducks migrating down and they're coming in and dropping in this green timber to feed on acorns and what makes it so different is like you're out there a lot of times you take a boat back in these places or if it's too deep you know well you take a boat in or you can ride a fooler back into them and wade in depending on what the uh, flood stages and water levels and uh you know you get out there the way i like to do it anyway you get out there and you find little holes and you you just wade around and lean up against a tree and you're calling ducks and man i mean i've been fortunate to take you know a handful of big game animals and some really you know some good ones too that's been exhilarating but i'll tell you it's tough to compete when you have like 200 mallards circling overhead and they're dropping in and these holes that are so small they can even be just a logging road going through the woods and they're dropping in and when they're coming in they're their wings are hitting limbs and all that kind of stuff. And like you got your dog there next to you and he's sitting there, he's watching them cause he's stoked and whining and like, it is, man, I, I, I've got cold chills. Like it's, Hell yes, dude. <laughs> it, it's something else. I mean, yeah, it is yeah. something else. I love it. I love that stuff. We have like, I mean, in, in Ohio, we, we have some good duck hunting, you know, up on the North coast by Lake Erie. We've got a bunch of big marsh zones up there. Mm-hmm. Center of the state where we're at. I mean, flooded timber man that's hard to come by and yeah for us just kind of the way that that you know our rivers work and in the really wet rainy season our timbers will flood out like a week after duck season ends mm-hmm. you know so we we miss we miss a lot of there, that i mean there's there's some that you can get in on but there's a part of me that wants to be in this this duck mine that you guys are in but like we were on a road trip last week and we'd be driving down the road at 80 miles an hour, probably like ducks, ducks. And I'm, I can't find, I can't even see the damn things up there. But teal are passing us at 80 miles an hour, right? I so. mean, folks think that you know that are just deer hunters or whatever think that you spend a lot of money deer hunting. You want to talk about spending some money? Get into duck hunting. Yeah, no, yeah, it's it's, it's, an, it's ridiculous. I'm, I mean, there's a reason it attracts very wealthy people too. I mean, um, but you know that kind of got shut down a little bit, like hunting a lot of the public for a while because. The Corps of Engineers came in and essentially like essentially turned the Mississippi River, which is the main the main channel of the Delta Flyway is the the uh, or the Mississippi Flyway is the Mississippi River. And the reason these areas were so good is the Mississippi River used to blow out of its banks. Well, when the Corps of Engineers came in with dredging and putting in dikes and stuff to essentially keep all the water flow cutting the channel out for because it's commercial purposes, right? That stopped a lot of your uh, premature flooding but it has came back uh over the last i don't know i'd say 10 15 years but growing up it was just stellar every year and then it kind of shut down where we weren't getting water and i had to start hunting fields more and field hunting is just boring to me man like i don't care how many ducks i mean we used to limit out you know sometimes right after 
shooting hours, you know, like I'd have eight guys in the pit and we would just murder ducks on the field, but it was just nothing like hunting in the woods like that. That's the stuff I watch, you know, I watch videos and I've hunted some timber, you know, a few times, but it's nothing like that. You know I mean? That's what everyone wants that, you know, those 200 mallards just circling and just dropping in and just splashing and hitting the water and. What about yeah. snow goose? Do you, do you do you guys do any of that down there? I mean, you got some good areas in Arkansas, don't you? Yeah, when I was growing up, it wasn't as big as it is now. Uh, we didn't have like your spring seasons and stuff, and we would call them in. And you know, they're really hard to, they're not the easiest animal to kill. Man, they're pretty sharp, uh, mainly because you have so many eyes looking at you. But yeah, we got into them, uh, and then you know, I've done some murders on those things, man. Like. But, but I, you know, I haven't done one of those hunts in years. Like nowadays, like I have buddies that go out and they've got the, the magazine extenders on their guns. And like, I mean, they're killing tons of these things because they're so invasive these days, but, uh, I don't even really duck hunt anymore. I moving out here, I get invited on a lot of hunts on the East coast and I'm sorry, but when you grew up the way I did, like, it's just not that fun to go. I mean, it's just mediocre, but I go back about, I've got buddies that still guide and I'll go back, um, it's been two years since I went, but I try to go back every year, like towards nowadays I'm picky. So I'll just ask my buddies, like, call me when it gets good and I'll come down like last <laughs> moment, you know, right. I'm not going to go out there and call me the night before I'll spend call me the night before and I'll, I'll make a 10 hour drive. So now that you're over there in um, North Carolina and you don't have, you're not in your duck duck world. What are you hunting and spending most of your time chasing after? Uh, hunting. I, I do a lot of whitetail hunting, mainly mountain style hunting. I been doing that because I, I really, when I moved out here, I took, a, cause I, I took a time off from hunting when I was in my mid twenties and, um, pursued passions and endurance sports. I was a pro level road cyclist and uh, ultra runner. And, uh, this really was just eat up with endurance sports and it was fun. It took me a lot of cool places. And then I got to the mountains and I took on rock climbing and I was still started hunting again when I moved to the mountains, uh, mainly just just I wanted to like put deer back in the freezer and I had a son and I wanted to start hunting again to bring my son up hunting because that was good pastimes for me uh but when I opening up hunting in the mountains just like took my passion of endurance sports and being in the big woods and mountains and like put it all together so I got really stoked on you know I call it like adventure style hunting I guess in a way like I don't like hunting places unless there's some level of effort that's involved. So I primarily, primarily hunt whitetails here, some bears, uh, turkey, I grouse hunt some, which we don't have a lot of grouse, but I have a drothar and, uh, he, you know, I, I use grouse hunting as like postseason scouting too, for deer. Cause, uh, cause we don't have a lot of grouse. So you have to cover a lot of country and habitat grouse living is what deer live in. Right. So I, I'll like go on big walks with him and, and then I do a lot of hunting um, out of state too, in any area that has some type of whitetail mountainous type terrain or bluffy. I like the river bluff country. I hunted Iowa last year up in the river bluff country up in Northeast. And, uh, and then I do a lot of hunting out West. Uh, I like to go do big mountain hunts out there. And uh, three years ago, I started going to Alaska, which I've been like building up all my skill sets because I, what I really prefer to do is solo hunt. I really like hunting by myself. Uh, I do a lot of hunts back country here because we have huge national forests here that are wilderness areas. So, I mean, you can walk miles and, you know, I'll do a lot of, especially like rifle season. I like to rifle hunt solo back there and just take a bivy and just 
hike around, you know, do a big loops and, uh, stay overnight. So I, um, yeah, so I built my skills up to start going to Alaska because my, really my passion, you know, at this point in my life is seeking more adventures out there and trying to build up the nerve to start going solo out there. It's just, you know, you get dropped off by air, airplane and see that thing leave and realize that you're 150 oh, wow. miles from a road that was 500 miles from the closest town. You're like, wow, this is, this is the real deal, you know? Um, so, uh, I think I got the nerve worked up. I'm going to do a hunt planning to try to do a hunt next year solo in Alaska. So the, the solo stuff in, in North Carolina, and I mean, is that just because the added element of danger, you know, just, in that, you know, more thrill, or is it just a way for you really to just shut everything out and just totally isolate and just, and just be within your own, you know, thoughts? Where's it all? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say there's a fear involved with it here. Um, I, I mean, honestly, it's been hard to find really good hunting buddies. Like I do have some hunting buddies that, you know, that I've made over the last few years that I like and trust and know that I could share camp with or share these adventures with, um, you know, just cause I'm just, I'm willing to go until I get beat down. So like that doesn't, not everybody wants to do that. And if it's harder, I like it more. Um, but you know, and it's also that I seek the solitude of it because, you know, in daily life, we're all caught up in, you know, especially if you're, you know, like involved in the hunting industry and you're having to post on social media, like you have, and you have people talking to, you know, I own another company that I, I've had for six years and it's a sales agency. So I'm always communicating with people and on the phone, emails and all this distraction of people honestly overwhelms me because I'm, I'm the most, um, extroverted introvert you'll probably ever meet like i prefer my alone time but like i have to switch flip the switch and so for that doing those things allows me to go and like really decompress and I be alone and completely understand what you're saying because i'm in sales so like for me all day it's just beep, 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 talking to people yeah. communicating this and that and i always said joke that like the first chance i get i'm just gonna go to the side of a mountain and never talk to anybody again no but i know that's not true i know man like i can tell a difference in my anxiety levels when i haven't been out and got broken away from connection like it changes i mean honestly i was looking at a yearly stress chart of myself today which i know it sounds weird but i could see the peaks and valleys and what was going on in my life throughout those times and why my stress was lower. And it was funny. It, the lowest it was, was during September, October, and November. Imagine and that's what that. I know it's weird. And then, uh, and then it picks back up when things peak in life. Right. And, uh, then I looked at when I was, I went on like a multi-day trip, uh, this winter by myself. And, uh, uh, that there was a low there, you know? So it's just, it's just really interesting how, you know, these things that you feel like are good for you, but when you can see the results on, on paper, you know? Yeah. Are you, are you married? Personal question alert. Uh, I have been married. I was divorced. And then actually this year I, I was with, uh, my fiance for eight years and we split up in December. So the I'm single again. There you go. So the re I mean, the reason I asked that is because I feel, I feel the same way with, with that, that alone time, you know, and it's mm -hmm. in the woods and you have to have that. It's just, it's just a human man in this stressful time. And then, and then like communicating that to your wife or your significant other, whatever, you know, whoever it may be. Sometimes it's hard to do, you know, because it's just like <laughs> you want to leave your family to go live in the woods for a week by yourself. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's exactly what I'm telling you. I'm well, going and then to they do. always remind you that when when you're out decompressing, I'm over here getting super balled up, out. stressed yeah. out. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be honest, that was a big cause of my separation from my ex because she was a person that's fairly anxious and in, in far as attachment style, like she, she needed her partner there with her all the time. Sorry, I'm going on this like therapy. No, you're good. Out, man. But, this is uh, a good podcast, right? Yeah, is, I, right. I, I'm enjoying this talk. So, um, but so she would get think I was wanting to abandon her when I was going out on these trips by myself. And I tried to explain to her for years, like, I'm not trying to get away from you. I'm trying to like connect with me and do the things I need to do. If not, I'm a mess, you know, like, yeah. and she could never, she could never like understand the result, you know, like she would see me like tense and stuff before I would go. And then when I'd come back, I'd be completely, you know, tranquil, you know? And, uh, so, you know, it's sad that that's the way it worked out, but like for my own mental health, I, I have to do that kind of stuff. And I know that about myself. I think that's, I think it's an, it's an important statement, man. You have to do these things for yourself because if, if you are useless as, you know, in your own skin, you're useless to everybody else around you. And oh, yeah. I mean, the one thing that I've learned doing this podcast, you could talk about you, me, any of us could talk about something that we're going through in our life and someone else is dealing with that exact same thing. And oh, for I sure. Mean, so this is, I know I've got a good friend who's going through this exact same thing and he's been doing this same thing for 20 years, you know, and it's just, I yeah. see him just get whittled down, man. Every year, man, it just more and more just whittled. And, and, you know, we used to go on these, on these, you know, week long Turkey trips, you know, or deer hunts and that's done. And it's just, you know, it's, it's tough, man. It's tough watching that, uh, you know, outside looking in. So, Oh yeah. But thanks yeah, for sharing sucks. that, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, man. It's all good. So let's, let's talk about, so, so I am a public land hunter and I've said this a hundred times in the show. I hunt public land, not because I'm some self-righteous dick, but because I'm don't have money to buy land, Andrew, and I'm chicken shit when it comes to asking asking for, for, for permission, right? Like I don't have the, the, like the, I don't know the bravery to walk up someone's driveway that I don't know and knock on their door and ask if I can hunt. Maybe it's not that scary. I don't know. So uh, public land is such something I've always done. I've never, I mean, if I've hunted a thousand times, I've hunted three times on private property. And, mm-hmm. uh, so public land near and dear to my heart. The one thing for me, like with, with deer hunting uh, o- over the years is, uh, that I'm really looking forward to with kind of this mobile setup is, is, is getting in. I mean, you're, you're light, you're nimble. You know, we talked to Adrian Wilson a couple weeks back and he was talking <laughs> about like bringing in like these, you know, these giant tree stands and climbers. And you're like, Oh God, like I want to walk this four mile hike where I know, but you know, so getting mobile. So has that like the mobile hunting, you said that's always been something that you've done. Is that more of like a spot and stock or have you been, you know, using the saddle and the rock climbing gear to climb trees? What's been kind of your method of success over the years? Uh, I've done it all, to be honest with you. I mean, I started out hunting out of thick stands that my grandfather and other people over the years, like had put up in public land, you know, probably illegally. Um, you know, I mean, we used to, I've hunted out climbers. I've, I mean, I've done it all, to be honest with you. Like, even when I was 14, my mom was dating a dude that was a lineman, and I borrowed his tree spikes because um, I learned from this old old head bow hunter when I was a teenager. He he, all, he always carried um, – he would do presets, you know, um, but he would put in cotton spindles. You know, they're like almost like um, 
railroad spikes in a way. It's a cotton spindle. He would drive them into the trees on public land, which I was saying probably was illegal. And he would just drive a wedge of wood in between a, a Y and a tree. And with no, you know, back then we didn't use safe harness or anything. You just get up there and stand all day and uh, hunt from that perch. But it was an easy way of getting in. Uh, so I did the climber thing. When I first started hunting mountains, I was hunting out of climbers. And that's what sparked the whole thought of making lighter stuff because i went i was hunting with climbers and i started carrying like you know lone wolf lock on with lone wolf sticks and i did all that stuff uh i ditched the safety harness probably fairly early you know like in 2012 probably and started using my rock climbing harness because i could just roll it up and put it in my backpack um but you know the thing i noticed after doing all this was things that really can that really irritated me was a the weight right when you're doing these you know rut hunts where you're walking back and forth for a week into some big tracks of land you know this like sailing a, a trip and you got this heavy system you know like with all my gear and everything man i never weighed it but you know i would say i was at least 50 60 pounds uh and also how loud everything was you know metal on metal like i played with hockey tape and doing all that stuff and but still it was loud and bulky it didn't pack up well you know um because when i first started i w- wasn't doing backcountry western hunts or anything where i needed to pack you know pack meat like the first couple of deer i drug out like an idiot and then i started packing my own deer out uh i want to talk about that in a minute when you're done because yeah. that's, that's something i've been thinking a lot about yeah yeah so it all progressed from there and then you know, that's why I started making carbon fiber sticks because they were quieter and lighter. And also I could make them the length I wanted because I started hunting with a uh, frame pack. So I wanted everything to be, you know, within my torso region. Um, cause you know, you go into trees and you got these big sticks. How many times you've been hung up with a climber, big sticks, and you're like rocking through trying to get through that stuff. And up here where I live, we have a lot of mountain laurel, uh, which is just like brushy, woody, brushy, uh, system that can go eight feet and, it's just a maze of limbs and getting through these things is a nightmare, man. Uh, even with, you know, how compact my stuff is these days, but, uh, yeah, that's how I got started. And I, and it, I progressed from using the climbing harness to a tree saddle. Uh, and I use the saddle platform some, like we have a saddle platform that's it's finished. We haven't launched it, but, um, you know, we, we do that. Um, and I started hunting from that, but I personally, my favorite way is using a lock on with a saddle. That's like the best for me. It's best of both worlds, especially for all day sits. Because you can sit down. Is that what you mean? Like, yeah, you can change it up. Mainly it's more platform space. Um, I'm a traditional shooter. I've been shooting traditional for five years and that's all I hunt with, with archer equipment. And I just found my form is better if I have more space to where I can stand and shoot rather than, you know, slouch back because you look at your just skeletal structure you know, the thing about a stick bow is repetitive anchor points, right? So if you're standing straight and your body's good and you're at a perfect tee, you got, you're going to get the maximum of what you're used to shooting in your yard and all that stuff. Then when you crouch that, you know, your, your, your draw is not going to be open as much because your anchor points, you know? Um, so having that bigger platform allows more movement to stand and shoot. And that's essentially how we designed our saddle platform too, is to give you enough space to kind of stand up. You're still pretty tight, obviously, but it's more than the other ones that I was using, you know, out there. Like most people's 
when they went larger, they went wider, not deeper. So we made ours two inches deeper. So even if that tree's bent towards you a little bit, you're not like really up on, you know, it's not in your face. Why'd you make the, the switch to traditional archery equipment? What was behind that? <laughs> um, well, uh, I like things that are complicated that are like completely an ongoing mental process. Um, you know, I got to a point where compound shooting, I wasn't having fun shooting and practicing unless I was shooting like 70 yards or over like shooting 30 was just too easy. Uh, that was one part of it. Also the simplicity of the bow was really interesting to me. Um, it's literally a stick and a string, a stick and string, man. Like I would, you know, you, you think all year about going on a two week elk trip, right. And you're carrying this compound bow that you could go out there in the middle of the woods and accidentally hit the string with your broadhead and your SOL, right? Like you can't do anything. Whereas with my bow, I can carry my stick bow on a trip like that. I usually carry one or two strings with me and outside of like stepping on it and breaking my limbs or my bow, you know, I can fix anything in the woods, like, you know, within a matter of minutes. So that was, um, those two things were the biggest factor. And also I just got to a point where I wanted to make my hunting a little harder and I like to get closer to animals. Um, and cause I feel like the closer you can get the, you know, you've outsmarted them even more, but I'm picking up that you like a challenge. That's like this reoccurring theme and all the stuff that you're talking about from your, uh, extreme, you know, the running and, and cycling to, going out in uh alaska and then i mean even you're starting a business during covid and doing something that people haven't really done before i I, I applaud you for that i I like that yeah man i mean that's what makes me feel alive to be honest with you uh yeah if it's not challenging i don't i get bored and i just don't do it anymore you know um it's like you know that's why i like to hunt mature whitetails is because they're harder to kill but when I picked up a stick bow, I went back to shooting a doe, you know, shooting first doe. And I was like rattled like crazy when that first doe came in, when I had a stick bow in my hand. So that's kind of, uh, that's kind of cool though. Right. I mean, that's the reinvigorates you, I guess. Yeah. It makes you realize why you're actually there, you know, cause I got to this, I got in this period, um, I don't know, probably in 2014, 2013, where I was just all after hunting numbers and, the whole hunt was about if I killed or not. And it just wasn't fun, you know, like, cause you're not always going to kill. So there were so many times you went home disappointed, you know, to a degree. And I had to really think about that and ask myself why I was even doing this. And, um, I realized like what got me into it and what I really truly love doing is being in the woods and out in the mountains and doing wild things. And if you can combine hunting with that, it's awesome. And, uh, so yeah, now it's, you know, we've talked to, I, this is, I mean, we're, we're coming up on our, our 50th episode and nice. we've talked to a lot of people about kind of that same thing, that evolution. And it, the, the one thing that you hear over and over again is there's just this burnout period where is, is humans is competitive people. We put, I went through it. You went through it, Jason, you've gone through it. I sh- I'm sure 75, 80% of our listeners have gone through it, but that's just such a, such a common thing where it just, just wasn't fun. You know, there's mm-hmm. all this pressure, I feel like, that we all put on us to kill mature whitetails or, or, you know, come back with something every hunt, even though that's like just, just it's, it's literally impossible. 
Um, so it's 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 just so funny, man. Like, what do you think the root cause was that? I mean, for for you, like, were you able to put your finger on it? Like, okay, it was this one thing that just made me not enjoy this. Uh, I think it was probably like the losing the sense of gratification and like the gratification only being around the goal itself. And at that time, that goal was to only kill deer, you know, or look at deer over 140 or something. Uh, you know, that was kind of my thing. And, um, that just, I don't know. I just kind of lost interest in that and it bummed me out because like, that's a really hard thing to do is to always focus on that. I mean, you guys are in Ohio, so it's not that hard to do, but, uh, <laughs> Uh, but, I guess it is for some so, of yeah. us. Yeah. Settle, settle down, Jason. Yeah. Let's, uh... <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just, i giving you some tr- crap. Yeah. I, I hunt that state a lot myself. So I, it's I know they're not behind every tree. It's every yeah. other tree. Um, but yeah, man, uh, you know, and I think I thought about that this year actually, cause there's so many people that are, and like, I, I don't want to speak for anybody, but so many people, the only hobby they have is hunting. And if that's all you think about all the time, it's easy to get burnt out and lose stoke. And, and I did it myself, especially when I started the company, I felt like I had to always be hunting or thinking about hunting or doing something hunting related because I had to post about it through social media because the direct to consumer business, like social media is our thing, you know, marketing. So I, it took me away from a lot of my hobbies and I really got burnt out on hunting as a whole at the end of this year. When I went through my uh, split up, I was just like, man, I really have like completely consumed myself into just hunting and quit doing all these other things I enjoy. So like I've taken this whole, this whole first half of the year and I've just been doing everything that I had stopped doing. And like, I've, you know, I do a little surfing, um, you know, I do some other things. I like travel with other countries. And so I did two, you know, two out of country trips this year, one a fishing trip and one, um, one uh just a solo surfing trip down to costa rica and went on some climbing trips and was mountain biking a lot more and it's funny like once i started doing those hobbies i was you know completely happy and and then my hunting energy came back you know probably around june or so i started getting stoked again looking at other things i wanted to do and um so now i'm like revitalized and i think i'm gonna stay on that path though personally i'm gonna I've seen some some Timber Ninja trail runs through the woods this summer on Instagram. So, yeah, I gotta get that influencer status, man. Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, I I gotta prove that I'm out there doing the stuff. I when guess. You figure out how to do that. Let us know, right? So, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm just good. waiting on the checks to come in. <laughs> well, hell, aren't we all right? Yeah. Keep buying more of those sticks, and that's the that's the plan. So, so yeah. like public public land so I, you just talk about being like revitalized with uh with hunting deer hunting for me i've been more excited about it this year than i have in seven or eight years and the one thing so i i've, I've been putting more effort into this guy's dragging me out to the woods quite a bit this summer and scouting and i've been putting a lot of effort into you know not just i i, I don't have like I'm, I'm telling you right now man if it's like the third day of the season and a little tiny basket rack eight point comes out. I'm shooting it. I'm, I'm not. I'm not even gonna blink an eye. It's gonna happen. Yeah. And then I'm gonna duck hunt the rest of the year, right? So, <laughs> so that's kind of like my. You know, that's that's the, the the hunter that I am. All right. Yeah. So the one thing that I've I've really been like looking at and kind of all the success that I've had in the past with deer hunting, I I, I attribute it to just dumb luck, right? For years, just dumb luck. I put no effort into it. I'd show up. I'd hang a tree stand somewhere. Boom. There's deer done. Right. 
so this year I've been I've been really focusing on like access and thermals and wind and all this stuff, and it's like it kind of like bogs me down. I start to panic. I'm like, oh god, man. So like, so the one thing that I've really been focused on because I hunt the hill country in Ohio. I do a lot of hunting in the in the eastern southeastern portion of the state, and it's not the mountains of North Carolina, but it's still pretty hilly. Yeah. The two things that are really like on my mind: access routes from you know where you park your truck, where you want to hang your stand, and thermals. So. When you're looking for access into the woods, you've got a public land spot. Maybe it's one that you've been at a hundred times, or it's one that you're just coming in and you just look at the map and you're like, okay, there's going to be deer. You know, the train features are going to funnel deer this way. We all know this. What's like, what are some of the, the things that you're looking for, the cures that you're looking for, for like good access routes into public land? Because I mean, we've all done it, man, but I've, I like blow deer out every time I, every time I go yeah. I'm like, ah. Yeah, man. I, well, you know, most, I mean, 90% of what I do is terrain type hunting, you know, mountains and stuff like that. So I'm very familiar with Southeast Ohio. So, you know, uh, and it's tough when you're in the hills, you know, like, cause if you're hunting hill country or mountains, um, you know, mountains vary from hill country as far as how deer use it, in my opinion. Uh, but you most always want to approach from the bottom if you can. Right. Um, cause no matter what time of day you're going in there, like, the deer are normally going to be up higher. If you can come in from the bottom, it's way better. Uh, you can get below them. Uh, but you're not always able to do that. You know, a lot of my public land here that I hunt, I have to come in from the top. Uh, so ideally, yeah, I would love to have that perfect bottom scenario all the time, but you know, I have to deal with what I, what I, the cards I'm handed. Right. And, um, so you learn to work around that. I mean, one thing that, um, I got to a point, I mean, I still am like, uh, I don't, I don't really worry that much about bumping deer. Uh, cause and it's, if it's dark, you know, it's, it's a little different in the daylight. If they can see you, but at night, like, unless they catch your wind, like, obviously I try to approach all my stands, you know, uh, downwind. So I can come in with the wind in my face and the thermals too. Uh, but so if they really don't, if they don't smell you and they can't see you, they don't know what you are. They get bumped all the time. You know, coyotes bump them, you know, all types of things affect those deer, uh, especially when they can't see and put all their other senses to use to determine what the cause of that is. So I don't let that really bug me out. Um, I just go in and do what I need to do and just, cause I'm usually, you know, up here, <laughs> the beauty of that is we don't have a lot of deer where I live. Our deer density is very low. So when I'm going in a hunt, I'm usually going after one specific buck I'm after and, more likely like there's some years that may be the only deer I see is the one I'm after. I was going to so, ask you about that. Like what is, what is North Carolina's deer scene look like? I, I've never really been down that way or mm-hmm. whatever. I know Tennessee's got some decent deer and they're running with the mm-hmm. velvet season or whatever now or came, went, I don't know, whatever. But yeah, It's like this weekend. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean our deer. So North Carolina as a whole has a great deer population but here in the mountain regions, they don't force the timber. So like there's not as much habitat. So our deer density is pretty low. Uh, like in the national forest where I hunt, there's 0.4 bucks killed per square mile. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, it's low. I mean, if you find a good deer trail, that's something to get excited about. Like you just don't find that much. So are the deer bigger down there? I mean, you get we the, have some big deer. I mean, like really mature bucks, I'd imagine. Yeah, that's the thing though. Like, our with low deer density, you know, our we have 
I see more bucks than does. Uh, and also the opportunity of finding older deer is a lot easier. Um, you know, like I have this year, I have four bucks over four and a half years old that I'm hunting. And, uh, so it does allow that, but you have to be a person that's mentally focused on that's what you're after. And you're not going to be, be like let down because you didn't see anything, you know, does that make sense? Uh, it does. you have to really stick with it. It's a marathon, not a sprint for sure. So like a, a buck I killed in 2018, I hunted him, I don't know, I think probably 60 sets maybe or something, maybe a little less than that. I don't keep count, but it was a lot. I was in there after him a lot. And I didn't see a deer that whole year until I saw him on the last day. I killed him on uh, December the 13th wow. in the afternoon. Yeah. Only deer I saw that year hunting, hunting him. Yeah. So are you running trail cams a lot? on these public lands to get target box and kind of take, you know, I, I hate this word, but I'm to do inventory of the deer. Uh, well, I do it just for the purpose of inventory, uh, because I, I don't use any cameras out of state. Um, we can talk about that later, but, uh, around here I do for inventory to find out if, if there's a mature buck in there, because like I said, there's not a lot of sign, uh, there's not a lot of deer. So it's really hard to determine that. And, but when, but I, I do walk until I find big deer sign and then I put cameras in there to see what it is. And, uh, so I'll spread, you know, I don't, I don't use a bunch, you know, I probably have seven, but some of them are five miles in, you know, big elevation gain and loss and stuff. And some of them, I don't get to check until the next year. So typically what I do is I like to, um, rifle hunt. And when I rifle hunt, I just hunt off the ground. I still hunt. And I, mainly when I'm rifle hunting, I'm covering new country. I want to um, explore to look for a, a mature deer. And then I will usually carry, you know, three cameras in my bag with me. And on those types of hunts, if I find good sign or like say a lot of scrape activity, I'll put some um, cameras in there and then come back and check them during turkey season. And then if I find something good, I'll, um, scout it a little bit and then i'll come back in and start trying to hunt them during you know, that next year season but it usually takes me about two seasons to either lay eyes or kill a buck i'm after honestly like two seasons of hunting after i found him i like that idea of taking a camera with you when you're out because yeah. if you i always stumble upon stuff and don't think twice yeah. about it but that's some dedication some patience to not go in and touch that Mm. that sd card until the following turkey season well it's not hard when it's that far though that's um, true <laughs> well and the thing up here man like because these deer these mature bucks man like they're in a range is not huge i will i will say at least from my experience in my area but it's big enough that they may only come through there once every four or five days so um that's one part of it so like my point of that being is i can put a camera out for eight months and I may have a hundred, 150 pictures on it. Unless, you know, unless a bears in there, like we got a lot of bears. So yeah, uh, yeah. that's the, that's the part that pisses me off the most is I'll put a camera in somewhere like that and get stoked to come back and check it. Turkey season and a bear tore it up two days after I put it up. Who was, I was listening to somebody the other day and they were talking about how there's always a bear that takes down one, at least one of their cameras. So yeah. I know in Ohio, if we get a bear that's on a trail cam, which we, we have a very small, I, I think it's, maybe a hundred bears in the entire state from, from the estimates I've seen. 
So if someone gets a trail cam pick of a bear in Ohio, people are like, oh, my God. And he goes, you know, it's all over Twitter and, you know, Instagram and all this. And it's it's a it's a big deal here, here yeah. in Ohio. So send some of those bears our way, right? Oh, dude, we have just in Asheville City proper. We have a, a biologist telling me we had in Asheville City limits, we have 400 bears. That's incredible. In the city of Asheville. Very buried. Yeah. Very, mm-hmm. very down there. That's the. Yeah. Man, that's 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 why. Can you hunt them there? Is it like uh, like urban bear hunting? There's no urban bear hunting. Uh, in a lot of our national forests is in bear sanctuary, but uh, there are areas you can bear hunt. Um, there are certain parts of the national forest you can, and yeah, bear hunting's a a big thing. Like the plot hound, you've heard of plot hounds? Yes. They came. Um, they were essentially established here in North Carolina by a guy with last name of Plot, hmm. a bear hunter. Do you do any bear bear hunting there? I do with archer equipment. I've never been with um, with a uh, dog hunters, but I met a guy this year. His dog came up with me during turkey season because you can run your bear dogs out of season for training. And his dog came up on me and uh, hung out with me like half the day and followed me out. And I ended up running into the guy and we hit it off. And he's like, man, if you ever want to go bear hunting behind dogs, let me know. And I've never, I, mean, I did a lot of coon hunting and squirrel hunting with dogs. So I love that whole aspect, but I've never really been intrigued to go bear hunting with dogs but i have here recently so and my son's 13 i'd like for him to go on one of those hunts so we're going to do one this fall with that guy that'd cool. be cool i'm going to do a, a turkey hunt uh, this fall over dogs here in ohio which is legal oh yeah i've heard about which that is, I, I guess it's it's you know it's really like the way that the turkey hunting got its start recreationally in this country was fall just take your dogs hunting. in the fall chasing turkeys and don't come anywhere near me okay you got it man yeah so in my yeah. mind like october belongs to turkey hunting right and I, i'm sure there are deer hunters listening to this just everybody like, just tuned out Paul. Right? <laughs> yeah they know me they know where i stand anyone that listens to this show they know where my heart's at so. yeah right but so i want to talk about this this little guy here uh, a little bit so can you talk to us a little bit about and what I'm, I'm holding uh, one of the C1 carbon fiber sticks? Yes, one of the carbon fiber sticks. So mm-hmm. this is was this your guys' first product that came out or yes main mm-hmm. product? Yeah, yeah. Talk to us about carbon fiber. Like, what is it? Why is it special? What makes it durable? I mean, I I know a little bit about it, but I mean that's what we have arrows made out of. You've got platforms. You've got tree stands. You've got sticks. And it obviously usually comes with a pretty good price tag, but it's they're very durable. So what can you tell us about carbon fiber in general? Well, I mean, it's just a, a fiber that was developed years ago. I mean, it's been used in aerospace, uh, orthopedics, um, prosthetics, you know, like you said, arrows, golf clubs. You know, it's pretty much replaced aluminum in a lot of aspects. I mean, cycling, for instance, you know, I came up in cycling when, you know, I started racing when carbon fiber was just starting to be a thing in bicycles. And, uh, so it's essentially, you know, how it's made. Um, we'll talk about like kind of how that's stick or, you know, a lot of carbon fiber things made it's, you know, it's sheets of, um, material it's woven material that, you know, grid locks and they lay different layers and depending on how the layup is and layups, you know, how you determine your strength, they position those, you know, layers because they're essentially like, um, it's not honeycomb, but like, um, geez, a weave, maybe a weave. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, so it's a weave. Saving the day. So, so you, 
So you have the weaves going in one direction. And then if you ran all the weaves in that direction, you would lose strength, right? So they, they, they lay these in layers with the weaves opposite each other. So that builds on the strengths and, and you can, I mean, you can go way down the carbon fiber rabbit hole, but there's all different types of things you can add in there with those weaves of different types of, um, materials like aramids which is like kevlar that's an aramid fiber they have um, sheets of that that people will lay in there fiberglass uh and then essentially what they do uh, is you apply resins like epoxies and you heat it up to melt it all together essentially and then you cure it out in an oven and that's what makes it a, a hard fiber right because when you pull these sheets off they're fabric and then they turn into a hard fiber and you have, there's something about, you have to keep it really cold for a certain amount of time, right? Or That's pre-preg, like okay. pre-preg material. Like it's already essentially kind of has the resin base to it a little bit sticky. So that has to stay chilled to, so it doesn't go bad essentially. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty cold, isn't it? Like a negative yeah. 30 or something. Yeah. I can't remember the exact, uh, I don't know if it's that cold, no. but uh, it, it, you know, for pre-preg, you have to keep it cold, but for regular fiber, on rolls it can be out normal area because it's the resins that do the work but pre-preg's just you know it's used for different applications it's also a little bit faster gotcha so the benefits is like you're able to lighten up the material that is essentially way stronger than aluminum uh and then also it's a lot quieter and also since it's like you know material it doesn't hold heat and cold the way metal you know metallic uh metals do so yeah, that's definitely one of the things you notice when you, you bang them together. You don't get that ting, ting, ting noise. It's right. almost, I was telling Paul, it almost sounds like antlers hitting against each other. And yeah. I feel like you don't give yourself away as much when you're rattling around in the morning. No, it doesn't sound unnatural, you know. Um, it's a dense thud, and, uh, you know, it's about, I think, 20 decibels quieter than hitting an aluminum stick. Like, I did a test with a dosometer with our aluminum stick and our carbon stick hitting them with a carabiner and it was about 20 dbs different yeah that's significant it's impressive man um so what else you guys have coming on the the pike and you said you got the um, the platform right but we have a we have a uh, a platform for saddle hunting but that's aluminum we're starting with aluminum on that because we made a started making aluminum sticks as well uh in 2021 we just added the same steps that we use on our sticks, which are polymer. They're not metal. So they keep the noise down. Cause when you stack sticks, like your, that's where your noise comes from, right? It's metal on metal, like putting metal standoffs through metal, you know, anywhere near metal steps that you're going to create noise. So that's why we went with polymer on our steps. So we did that with aluminum. We introduced the aluminum stick, uh, in 2021 have the saddle platform, which we just need to release it. Uh, and we have a carbon fiber lock on that we've been working on for a few years. That's uh, it's finished. It's, we need to bring it to market. We added. Uh, that's the one you guys had ATA last year, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's a really sweet deal. That's <laughs> so light. It's yeah. So it's light, light, quiet, and compact. I mean, it's so thin when you fold it. Like it's there's it's just there's nothing like it. And honestly, there's you know there's always going to be some flex in something, but like the flex difference between our stand and any other lightweight stand is like, it's just nominal. Um, and you know, that's another thing about carbon. It's just, you know, the elongation in it's a lot less than what you see in aluminum too. Mm -hmm. But, um, as far as when you do have flex, 
Uh, we've got a carbon fiber uh, camera arm that's about to come out. I saw that on is... Instagram today. That thing looked pretty, pretty neat. Yeah, we've been working on that for a few years. Uh, finally got it dialed in. And I do a little self-filming last year. I'm not good at it. Jordan, my business partner, has been self-filming since like 2005. He just never puts anything on YouTube. Uh, so like he was a big part of that. And so we just, you know, that camera arm is something that's, it folds flat to where you can slide it into your bag. It weighs like, I think 2.2 pounds. Um, and it's, it'll hold 10 pounds fully extended without any bounce. And so it's a, it's a cool little compact thing. It's, it's made for the, you know, the self filmer mobile hunting type guys, what it's made for. But one of my buddies, um, uh, Hunter Rudd, that's a filmer for captured creative, um, they're a media company. They do all of first light stuff okay. and lacrosse boots and Novix and a lot of that stuff. They do a lot of work with all those people, but he works for them. He's a filmer. So he helped test that camera arm last year and made some, um, suggestions and, uh, so yeah, it's turned out pretty sweet. Cool. What do you have, uh, planned this fall and winter for hunts? Um, we, uh, let's see. I didn't do anything early season this year. I was going to go to Alaska this year, but I bought a house this summer. Priorities, right? <laughs> priorities. I had to buy a house. Uh, so I decided not to go to Alaska. I got burnt out last year in Colorado just because so many people hunting. I just, you know, I went to a basin that I'd been in for three years prior and never seen anybody. Went in last year uh, for nine days by myself and called in six people. And, um, I just, I got burnt out. Cause like, I really went in there to have this spiritual solo journey and like to get away from everybody way out in the wilderness and got, got bumped into the first day of season. So I didn't want to go do that this year, but I do. One of my good friends growing up lives in Colorado and his son drew a, um, a cow moose tag in Colorado. So I'm going to go out there and hunt with them for four days and kind of help them. And then mainly all whitetail this fall. I'm going to do a rut trip in uh, Illinois. I've never hunted in Illinois. I'm going to hunt some country there and then probably hunt Ohio or West Virginia and then just hunt here. Um, I've got a really big deer I'm hunting here in the mountains that I found last year. Uh, biggest buck I've ever seen here. And I mean, he's, I don't know, he's, he's over he's he's in the 150s last year which for here that's a really good deer that's uh, a good I deer mean, anywhere that's a good right deer. Yeah, oh it is yeah i mean like here it's a booner honestly uh so i'm putting a lot of time in on him and uh and then i'm gonna do an all dad hunt uh oh, in february cool yeah that'd be pretty wild yeah i mean i've talked to a bunch of people that have done them with stick bows up in the west country mountains and or west texas mountains and they were just telling me how hard it actually is and um, and you can get as many stalks in a day as you, as you want, as long as you're physically capable. So, um, I'm wanting to do some more spot and stock hunting. Uh, I've got points for Western, um, high country meal deer is what I'm building for. And, uh, and I'm also going to go hunt sick of blacktail in August next year up in the high country in Kodiak, uh, which is all like in the, in the early season, like in August, they live up in mountain goat country, essentially. So a lot of spot and stock, which I don't have a lot of experience with. So that all dad hunt, sorry, this is I'm rambling, but no, keep going, uh, man. that all dad hunt, you know, I, I just feel like it'd be a cool hunt and I'm a, my bucket list in life is to go sheep hunting. Like I, that's what I dream of doing is being a sheep hunter. Um, 
And A, it gives me a chance of hunting a sheep species and rocky mountainous terrain. And I can get the ability to get a bunch of stalks in to kind of give me a little bit of a, you know, intro into learning the stalk a little bit before I like go on some hunts that I may get to do once every few years. Right. Uh, I feel like the sheep hunters are probably the craziest hunters segment out there. And then also the, like the fittest. I mean, you've got to be, cause you're just getting your ass kicked the entire time you're out there like, in that country. I mean, it is oh, just, from the yeah. moment you wake up until the moment you fall asleep, you were just getting beat on by mother nature. So. Man, I, uh, we could do a whole podcast. On, I mean, I'm not a sheep hunter, but I've just, it's what I, I don't watch whitetail hunting YouTube videos. Like I, I just, I don't do it. Like the only thing I watch is like, um, I mean, I, I'm not saying that I watch some, but, uh, when I watch YouTube videos, it's all sheep hunting or, moose hunting or goat hunting stuff you don't do every day right yeah well yeah, I'm, and, I'm with you man and the, and the sheep hunting man so to me it puts together everything that i love a lot uh it's endurance based because like if you're really doing it right you know you're or right from my perspective you're getting flown in or whatever into a, a, a big area and then Sorry. you're hiking you know sometimes 15 20 miles and you know you're putting in at least 14 days like you, you know uh in all these crazy elements in the high country mountains and uh yeah it just there's so much about that that intrigues me because you know you you see some unfit guys that are sheep hunting but you know or killed sheep but some of them get helicoptered in right but the guys that are diehard they're all like super fit like rough hard men because wow. there's gonna be days in that country that i mean i've I've been in a lot of that type of country, rock climbing and stuff, and you're going to have some crappy days, man. Oh, man, they just whittle you down to nothing. Oh, no. And you, and you still have 12 days left in the woods. <laughs> so I know. you better be prepared. I just that think it's fun. one of those. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's just one of those things like, you know, I just know, or at least I'm just fantasizing. I've done things when I've finished something I was doing. Like, I'm, I've told myself, I'm like, I'm never doing that shit again you know, that day I say that, but then like a week later after I processed, I'm like, you can't wait to go back. Right. Like, like that was insane. That was awesome. I remember the first time uh, I went elk hunting, we went and, you know, we just, you know, we spike capped, spike packed in or spike camped in and just, you know, in the back country and hunted hard for I think seven, eight days. Wasn't having much luck at all, and it was hot, unseasonably warm, and we were all dusty and stinky. And we ended up killing a bull the last morning, and we were short on time, so we packed that bull out in one trip, my buddy and I. Oh my god! And I remember at the end of that, like, because we were like five miles back. Um, I remember I was like, man, I don't know if I want to do this shit again, like, because it was I was just beat up uh, from all of that. But then like. After we got some food and a couple beers in ourselves, so I was like, "Man, yeah, I can't wait to go yeah, back." And do sign that me again. up, Jason. How much? Yeah. Of, how much of that? I have not done any of that. It does intrigue me, but how much of it is just you just got to go do it, right? You can sit there and plan, 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 but you just say, "I'm going." Yeah, we. Um, my buddy Chris Perino is a big wilderness hunter that's been doing it for I don't know thirty, forty years with a stick bow, like killing grizzlies, everything, right? And we talked about that on a podcast there's so many people that keep talking about it and procrastinate and come up with ideas. But like the thing is, and that's where I was when I first went elk hunting, it was something I always wanted to do as a kid. Um, never thought I could because, you know, like I said, I grew up pretty poor and 
But then when I, you know, got to where I was ready to do it, I told myself, you know, I knew I was physically capable and I knew I had the skills to live in the back country and deal with myself in a first aid situation. So I didn't have any buddies that wanted to go. So I was like, I'm going by myself. And then I actually reconnected with my friend I grew up with and uh, grew, grew up with that moved to Colorado. And I just asked him, you know, a few general questions about uh, an area I was looking at. And he's like, man, if you want to go, he's like this, me and you'll go. So, you know, but I was determined to go by myself. I didn't care because I wanted it that bad. And that's, that's just what you got to do. Um, you just got to throw it all to the wayside and just go. So I, I have a son who he'll be 20 in January and I keep telling him like, just go, man. I mean, you're young, you're as healthy and as athletic as you're ever going to be. Cause it's, you know, it's just, you know, it's just, you start to, you're, everyone, yeah. everyone loses it. Yeah. It doesn't matter how I don't hard like, you work out, but I mean, I don't like to think of it that way. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> just, but, but my point is like, go now, this is the easiest that it's going to be on you. You know, yeah, at, at 25, 20. Well, know, yeah, so. and you, I mean, they stress about thinking they don't have any money. Like, if that's one thing I could change about my past, and which, I, you know, I really wouldn't change a lot, but like, if I could have told my young 20 year old self to like do these things that I'm doing now, then, like, I was so focused of like being financially independent at that age that like that's all I was focused on was making money and trying to build up the corporate ladder at that time that I didn't like just take time off in my early years and go explore. And I've met so many friends through, you know, different areas that they did that. They dirt bagged as climbers, for instance, for 10 years, you know, they're all their twenties and just living, working odd and end jobs just to go back and climb. And man, but they were, they're the most peaceful people I've ever met. And then now they found their career, but you know, you think about it, you get to be in your thirties and you've just, grinded so long you end up being a little unhappy if you didn't like experience life and like everybody's waiting on their retirement right that come up that way is the time to go do things but i know so many men that are successful men but focused on their um jobs and careers and bank account that they get to be 60 and that's the only thing they know they don't know what to do when they retire right and and then if you want to go sheep hunting at 65 you don't have to get helicoptered in you know, like, you know, most people will. Right. Right. So I would tell my son and I tell my son, I've got a 13 year old. I tell him all the time that I'm like, don't get so focused. Like if college is not your thing, figure out your thing, but make sure you enjoy your life. Yeah. That's the same conversations that my son and I don't. Have. Yeah. Also I, having, so. I don't want to get into the conversation. I have a big problem. I, I feel with society telling 18 year olds to figure out what they want to do for the rest of their life. But yeah, that, that, well, that's a whole nother, uh, podcast on that one so well that's changing though i mean really that is changing uh you're seeing a lot of the age now they don't want to work right (laughs) even for the 30s or i'm now you know i'm 42 and i'm trying to figure out how i don't have to work anymore i'm like screw this work stuff i just want to adventure all the time i'm gonna be a dirt bag at 40 so i mean (laughs) i'm retiring at 50 regardless like my son will be out of the house when i'm 48 i'm quote unquote retiring uh, at that point um you know, uh, I may not quite be there financially, but I'll do some, I'll go work on a salmon boat. Yeah. Go be a, a packer up in Alaska or something. Sell, fly, a, couple, sell a couple more sticks. There. Right. Yeah. Fly fish yeah. guy in Argentina or something. I know. Yeah. I'll sell, sell timber ninja for like 40 million in a couple of years. And I don't have to worry about all that. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Don't forget us. Yeah, <laughs> Jason, exactly. Yeah. Jason, yeah. I appreciate your time man. I appreciate everything that you're doing. Yeah. 
And, uh, man, we'd love to have you come back on and, and just dive in some, hear some hunting stories and good luck this fall. Yeah, man. Good we'll luck. See you, hopefully see you down at ATA again. So where can, yeah, people, think... where can people find you on social media? Uh, Timber Ninja Outdoors on all the social channels and yeah, that's it. Good deal. I don't, Jason, I'm Red, proud thank you, sir. What's that? Yeah, man, thank you. Oh, you're good. Yeah. Good deal. Thank you. Yep. Take care, man. Yep. See you.